With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. <laughs> You think you're not slaves, but you are. The nine-to-five existence of your current lives is structured by the American industrial complex complicit with our government. So it leaves you really questioning everything you thought you knew. sense of separation, the sense of isolation is the thing that is within you and me and makes us feel alien to everything else that's outside of us. So that is why as you sit there within your body and you look out through your eyeballs and you listen through your ears and you look around you, everything else is not you. And you don't fit. You're listening to Up Is Down with Dean Reiner. The challenge we're seeing in Mexico right now is that the, uh, air quotes, good cartel, the one that saw drugs as a business, is being broken up. If you remember El Chapo. That's the good cartel? Third Southeast. The thing is, the crazy fucking thing is, uh... Fentanyl, it's a story in the U.S., but it's not a story in Mexico. Because fentanyl is not saying in Mexico. No one is doing fentanyl in Mexico. No one is consuming fentanyl in Mexico. If you go to any city, like Ciudad Juarez or Culiacán or Monterrey or whichever city you go, Cancun or whatever, and try to get a pill of fentanyl, you're not going to get anything. Can't find it? Not even in Monterrey? No. So that's in the culture, and and, and the religious uh, occultism the cartels have as well. You know, it's a pretty interesting thing. Things like Santa Muerte, the the, the, the death cult that is kind of in different parts of Mexico. It's like a think of a very dark uh, Freemasonry type thing right certain mm. certain levels you have people that are part of the uh, part of that cult from 
the cops to the military to the cartels it's kind of uh, to uh, prostitutes and drug dealers uh, it's interesting how how th that kind of also has an influence on 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 the way some people go into very risky businesses like being cops or, or, or cartel guys and how they wear or they empower themselves by some of these occult iconographies you know like The death cult worship is, I think it, you could probably trace it back to the Aztec days, right? So there's definitely, when you see all these highly graph, highly violent, bloody cartel executions and, and, and things like that, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think there's some sort of genetic memory from that those times. It's not abnormal physically for some of these people to do that type of thing. You know, ripping somebody's heart uh, next to a tree is, a, like, there's videos of that stuff out there. Yeah, man. Welcome back to The Up is Down. Welcome to the second part of Narco Theology as presented by up is down. If you haven't heard uh, the first part, you might not know where we're going with this episode. So I suggest you go back and maybe just refresh that episode or even just the last, say, five or 10 minutes when I read the article out of uh, the Catholic Review, Small Wars Journal. That'll kind of get you up to speed. So let's uh, not waste any time and let's get right back into where we left off on Narco Theology Part 2. So now that we kind of got a, we kind of understand what the bones and the flesh of the narco theology is. I hope you kind of get it. I hope, you know, I, I, I hate reading off of an article on the show because it just seems so disjointed and broken. I got to stop so many times because I fumble over the words. I hope that it was clear. Uh, I'm, when I listen to this before I produce it, I might make a few edits just to kind of smooth it out because it is, it is kind of a jumbled, hulky mess. Whenever I read an article on the mic, it just, I don't know why, it just pisses me off. Anyway, getting back to it. Okay, so now that we've gotten through quite a bit of the narco-theology background stuff, the reason why I find that so interesting is while I was following the hashtag Sinaloa Cartel and the beginning of January when Ovidio was taken out or taken down, disappeared, arrested, whatever you want to call it, there was uh, a tweet from someone named James Perrazzo, who <laughs> tweeted out something about um, Long Live Atlantis. That, and so I started looking. I was like, what do you mean Long Live Atlantis? And I was looking at this guy, James Perrazzo. He's an interesting little little guy. He's a, not a little guy. He's a, he's a big dude. He turns out that James Perrazzo is like a self-proclaimed propagandist for the New Generation de Jalisco Cartel, the CJNG. And there was a lot of tweeting going on back and forth in the very beginning of this hashtag, Sinaloa Cartel, people talking about what's really going on and all the videos and stuff. And But this one guy's tweet really stood out to me just because it was about Atlantis. And, and so I started looking at this dude, and he has this idea, and turns out it's not a new idea at all, that... The New Atlanteans, the Atlantis itself, the fallen empire 
of Atlantis is actually South America, Central America, and Mexico. That whole area all the way to, I think, um, Portugal, like a big triangle, is this supposedly is Atlantis. And James Perrazzo propagate, propagates the idea that the CJNG are representatives of a new Atlantean civilization who's taking power. That sounds crazy, right? And it, it, it is. It, it is kind of crazy. But then I started kind of looking into it, and I found some interesting stuff. I found an article in medium.com, which is a bullshit rag, if there ever was a more progressive liberal rag. Uh, I'd like to see it. But Medium had an article titled, uh, written by Lily Moss, March 10th, 2022, entitled Defend Atlantis, CJNG. And it reads as follows. It's a short article, thank God. CJNG, the new generation Jalisco cartel, is one of the largest cartels in Mexico. CJNG is headed by Nemesio Aseguro Cervantes El Mencho, one of the world's most wanted drug lords. They are rivaled in Mexico by the Sinaloa cartel. We already know all this kind of stuff. And it goes on to say that the CNJ are different than other cartels for they have barbaric and violent cartels and a reputation of horrific means of torture, the most commonly used being amputation, fingers and toes, uh, death cults, all these kinds of things. We already know all this stuff. We've been talking about it for an hour. Uh, but for another thing, the CJNG uh, is as much of a movement as they are a cartel. They rely on slick propaganda and name recognition to gain notoriety in their areas of influence. In reporting from the Daily Beast, one security analyst states the trauma inflicted by the CJNG. That would be that that dude, uh, whatever his name is. We just mentioned his name, but I already forgot. Uh, terror schools. The, the, the training camps, terror schools, in many cases, quote, in many cases, the experiences they've been through as trainees have left such deep marks on their psyches that normal life is no longer possible. Voila, there is the trauma bond. That's the trauma bond right there. That's the inflicting and the uh, participating in traumatic and horrifying brain breaking activities that break your brain and compartmentalize the experience and then suppress those memories so that they store themselves in your muscles and in your body uh, rather than in your, your, your mind. That's the whole idea about traumatic programming. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing. You leave such deep marks on the psyche of the victim, of the person involved, that normal life is no longer possible. And then they dissociate from that activity and they dissociate from the body that was responsible for that activity. That's just my little input right there. The article goes on to say the DEA former chief of international relations, Mike Vigil, added that, quote, if terror school recruits show fear or commit errors or infractions, they instantly become the victims of other trainees who then dismember and decapitate them and in some cases eat their flesh. Uh, in Narco News reporting, they uncover CJNG's 2019 Training with European Security Academy, uh, ESA, a Poland-based company associated with training neo-Nazi paramilitary organizations. The ESA runs advanced security programs for law enforcement and military training. So uh, just to repeat that in, a in different words, Narco News, which is another um, news reporting agency in Mexico and I think just all of Latin America, they specifically covered narcotics news. Um, they found out in 2019 that CJNG, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, 
has been training with European Security Academy, ESA, Poland-based company associated with training neo-Nazi paramilitary organizations. This group also runs advanced security programs for law enforcement and military training. Uh, the ESA has previously trained groups such as the Azov Battalion in Ukraine and Tradition and Order in the uh, European Union. Excuse me, I'm swallowing. Uh, investigations from Bellingcat go in-depth on the training between ESA and Azov Battalion from 2016 to 2018. So, uh, <laughs> 2016 to 2018, well, that's two years after the U.S. intervened in Ukraine and ousted the then-democratically-elected president and then installed uh, Volodymyr Zelensky and his Azov Battalion, who were trained by the ESA as well as, I mean, the ESA is training the CJNG in their terror schools, and the same group is training the Azov Battalion in Ukraine. I think that's kind of interesting. So I'm going to depart from this article here real quick, and I'm going to jump over to this one, which explains a little bit more about the ESA. Over the course of several weeks in September 2019, the Jalisco Prosecutor's Office found at least 138 bags of human remains in clandestine mass graves in the Zapopan and Tala municipalities west of the Guadalajara metro area. The first two discoveries on September 3rd and 11th included the dismembered remains of at least 40 people buried not far from Highway 70 in the Zapopan municipality. On September 20th, 17 bags of human remains were found along a dirt road off the 11-kilometer marker of the Guadalajara Amica Highway in the Tala municipality. Since September 2014, civil society organizations have warned of a large number of disappearances in Tala. According to accounts from survivors reported by Quinto Elemento Lab, cartel recruiters in Jalisco targeted people on the margins of society, such as unemployed, day laborers, car washers, handymen, porters, deportees, and people from drug and alcohol rehab centers, as well as former military and former police. And I'm just going to add uh, the disenfranchised and confused and discouraged youth of Mexico. Uh, the recruiters connected with them through Facebook and WhatsApp and lured useful or disposable people in with promises of employment as security guards. When the unsuspecting recruits showed up for their onboarding, they were kidnapped and taken to training camps. Recruits were forced into indentured servitude for the cartel under the threat of torture and or death. According to the testimony of a survivor recruited in early 2017 who later managed to escape, recruits were rounded up and transported between several relays. Multiple survivors later recounted how recruits were transported along a dirt road to the small communities of Tala, Ajualisco, Las Navadas, and Cuisilos west of the Guadalajara Metroplex to a ranch known as La Reserva. According to legend, La Reserva has it that the ranch once belonged to Don Pedro, a local nickname for legendary drug trafficker Rafael Caro Quintero, who was named as the killer, although I don't necessarily believe he was responsible for it, of Kiki Morales. It's a whole different story. You can check that out in uh, Amazon Prime video thing called Last Narco or The Last Narc. Uh, anyway, going on with the article. Investigators in Jalisco discovered training camps and ghost companies purporting to be private security companies that lured recruits in with similar M.O. Tala is also home to the largest tactical training facility in Latin America called Area Zero. 
According to their website, Area Zero was built in 2012 and offers courses on small arms proficiency, primitive survival, combat medical training, and executive protection to public and private military and law enforcement personnel. Area Zero is owned by Grupo Cinco and Colombo Latina Mexico, a subsidiary of a Colombian company specializing in private security services and training called Academia Colombo Latina. Colombo Latina was formed on August 20, 2002 by two brothers and accredited by the Superintendency of Surveillance on January 23, 2003 under Resolution Number 00201. In March 2004, Nelson Zambrano Ariza, a retired major in the Colombian Army, joined the company which expanded between 2004 and 2008 and acquired competitors such as Segurid Limited, managed by another retired Army major, Gustavo Grand Restrepo. In 2017, El Tiempo reported that another company owned by Nelson Zambrano Ariza called SWAT Bodyguards received $0.47 million, so almost half a million, from the Colombian government to train demobbed FARC guerrilla fighters in executive protection, quote-unquote, to help reintegrate the former insurgents whose only skill is fighting. Grupo Cinco, the other parent company of Area Zero, also manages prisons. One of Grupo Cinco's managing partners who joined the firm in 2009 is Eduardo Guerrero Duran, a confidant of Gennaro Garcia Luna, originally from Sonora, Guerrero Duran was a sentencing prosecutor from 2010 to 2015 in the administration of former Chihuahuan governor and current fugitive Cesar Duarte. In 2016, story in Proceso described how Guerrero Duran and his associates collectively dubbed Grupo Sonora allegedly pacified, quote-unquote, Chihuahua's once notorious prisons through executions, extortions, and numerous other corrupt practices. During El Chapo's trial, Damaso Lopez Nunez, alias El Asiendo, uh, I'm going to skip all this part. In May 2015, an operation supposedly to capture the leader of the CJNG, the cartel Jalisco Nueva Generation, ended in catastrophe when a, helico- when a helicopter carrying a number of Mexican special ops forces was shot down near Villa Purification, Jalisco. According to reporting in Proceso, Anonymous U.S. intelligence agency sources reported that the paramilitary force responsible for downing the helicopter were trained by former FARC guerrillas. Another version of events from Mexican military sources was reported in an Estado Mayor. According to officials from the armed forces, the group that shot down the helicopter consisted of an elite corps of Mexican military deserters, Colombian or former Guatemalan and Colombian special forces officers, and even some former U.S. Marines with combat experience in Iraq and Afghanistan who worked as mercenaries offering their services in, quote, executive protection to defend the leader of CJNG, El Mencho, uh, from capture. This version is consistent with an in, with an interview with survivor of CJNG training camps by Telemundo, who reported that former Mexican special forces officers, as well as former U.S. Navy SEALs, U.S. Army Delta Force, and elite U.S. Marines were hired by the cartel's high command to train recruits and enforce discipline. In June of this year, um, I can't pronounce this note, this publication, but they reported that John William Casera Luna, alias El Colombiano, a retired Colombian federal police officer, was arrested for the kidnapping and murder of 18-year-old Ivan Espino Colunga on June 6th. 
Kassara Luna worked as a private contractor for the European Security Academy, ESA, and gave training courses to the municipal police in Zacatecas in 2015 before joining the Zacatecas State Police as a commander. So here we got Kassara Luna, who was a private contractor for Academy for European Security Academy, ESA, who gave training courses to the municipal police while at the same time doing training courses with the CJNG cartel. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Uh, most probably in the Area Zero training grounds. So, again, you can really blur the line between the municipal police and the cartels at this point because they're pretty much one and the same. And then during this time, Casara Luna, El Colombiano, he joined the Zacatecas State Police as a commander. He's a good-looking guy. He's black. He's built. Many pictures of him with huge machine guns. He's definitely uh, fucking around. Is definitely not what he's doing. Um, Academia Colombo Latina reportedly obtained a contract to train thousands of the now-defunct Mexican police at its Area Zero facility in Tala, Jalisco. The company was awarded a contract for $250 million for training the Mexican police, but according to reporting, a federal audit found that Academia Colombo Latina only spent $59 million training 991 agents between March 13th and April 30th. The rest of the money just simply disappeared. According to Area Zero's website, ESA formed a strategic partnership with Colombia, with Colombo Latina Mexico in 2016 to form the largest international private military training company in the world, according to them, with locations in Ukraine, Lebanon, and 35 other countries. In September of 2016, the European Union suspended FARC from their designated terrorist list during Colombia's peace negotiations. According to research from Bellingcat, ESA also provided advanced combat training to the white nationalist Azov Battalion and several other white nationalist groups from 2016 to at least 2018. The Azov Battalion has been fighting against pro-Russian separatists in eastern Ukraine since 2014. So, here we have some confirmation that uh, from a separate source that the same group that are training the CJNG in the terror schools and weaponizing and modernizing their weaponization and militarizing their entire operation is the same group that has been doing the same thing in Ukraine since at least 2014, if not earlier. So to get back to the Medium article, which first mentioned ESA's previously training groups such as Azov. 
CNJ has another supporter, however, in a place that few would expect to look. And this CJNG is the latest iteration of the narco-theology cult. They are massive propagandists. They are more of a movement, which falls right in line with the narco-theology. They're more of a movement than anything else. I mean, they're definitely a cartel and they're definitely criminals and they're murderers, but they have a philosophy. In traditionalist philosophy, René Guénon is known as one of the most influential figures. Guénon wrote about many crises of the modern world. However, one myth that Russia, Russian metapolitical philosopher Alexander Dugin picked up from Guénon's philosophy is that of Hyperborea and Atlantis. Alexander Dugin adheres to a dialectic of Hyperborea and Atlantis in which the Hyperboreans, hailing from the north winds, are advanced esoteric beings with ancient spiritual knowledge and divine mysticism. Atlanteans are grounded, earthly beings with values of order and individualism. A friend of Alexander Dugan, self-proclaimed archaeo-futurist and fellow practitioner of chaos magic, is James Perrazzo. James Perrazzo, if you remember, is the guy that tweeted, Long live and long defend Atlantis. When Ovidio was captured, he tweeted that on, on Twitter. James Perrazzo is the former leader of skinhead group American Front, later renamed New Resistance. He is credited by the Southern Poverty Law Center with being the first to introduce third positionism, quote-unquote, to the dissident extremist sphere of the United States. His Global Revolutionary Manifesto calls for, quote, an alliance of groups from all races and religions to destroy the blood-sucking American oligarch liberal scum, end quote. James Perrazzo is a former political analyst for Center for Syncretic Studies. No longer working under Joaquin Flores' CSS, he has continued a propaganda run to, quote, defend Atlantis, as well as a significant role in the archaeo-futurist revival. According to his philosophy, Atlantis stretches from South America through Central America and into North America. This area is granted occult significance and is considered to be a source of sacred magic and knowledge. James Perrazzo has been a longtime propagandist of the CJNG. He is not officially a member nor part of the cartel. He has, however, shared open support for them over a significant pan of time. This is valuable to CJNG as their social movement grows. On Instagram, James Perrazzo voices support for CJNG numerous times, calling them preferable to the U.S. for border control, repeating, defend Atlantis for the support of the Atlantean society, Last month, he started a merch run for CJNG offering face masks and t-shirts. He, sell he sells those among his other Atlantis-themed merchandise. CJNG has flyers that they drop from airplanes into villages in Mexico in which they said, we are cleaning up the region. CJNG has been engaged in a vicious fight with the region's cartels for at least five years. During 2022, they have accelerated their violence, forcing civilians from their homes and circulating propaganda. CJ and G have marketed themselves as more than a typical cartel and more leaning toward a social movement. As tensions heat up between Russia and the United States, as well as other NATO allies, South America is positioned as an important figure for trade, travel, and resources. James Perrazzo has support for and influence with a number of anti-Western groups in South America, including Brazil. This influence includes supporting the notion of La Raza Cosmica, a racist doctrine of cosmic racial theory originating in Mexico, and the sixth root race, quote, in reference to theological myths regarding race and transcendence in Atlantis. Of his various projects, his current Atlantis ones are potentially the most influential. 
He is a supporter of Dugan's neo-Eurasian fourth political theory, standing in opposition to Western democracy in the United States. Uh, per the Southern Poverty Law Center, Perazzo sees Dugan's fourth political theory as the future of revolutionary struggle against globalism, capitalism, and liberalism. So it's kind of a, I guess it's a bunch of word salad type stuff, but here you have the Medium.com article, which is conflating uh, the sensational aspects of the CJNG and their murderous acceleration, of course, factually stating, which has been verified that the CJNG is being trained by the ESA, the European Security uh, Academy, which is a big player in all kinds of global conflicts. They're a paramilitary operation. They're training the Azov Battalion. That's factually based. You can verify that. But this article is conflating CJNG and their violence with René Guénon as a philosopher and then a fan of René Guénon's philosophy, Alexander Dugan, who writes about Hyperborea and Atlantis. And then they're conflating that with a fan of Alexander Dugan. So you got a fan of a fan of a fan. And I don't think any of that really connects anything necessarily, but I do find it interesting. And I'm grateful for the medium.com article because I wouldn't have put these things together in the way that I do without their help. So what is this thing? What is this new Atlantis that homeboy is talking about? He's uh, here's a here's a picture of a tweet, or maybe it's an Instagram post or whatever, but I'm pretty sure it's from James Perrazzo. He says, we are asked a lot based on some new age blabbing, like was Cuba Atlantis? This is all from his post. Uh, there is a nuanced answer. Cuba was and will be a part of the Atlantean empire, but certainly not Atlantis in its totality. Atlantis covered mus- most of North and South America, along with much of Europe and significant outposts in Asia, Middle East, and Africa. More importantly, coming back to the present, La Raza Cosmica, the coming race, the sixth root race, etc., is clearly emerging in Cuba, despite the communist attempts to suppress this. Just like in Brazil, Venezuela, Colombia, Mexico, and even the United States and Europe, Cuba is presenting the human material set to become much more than human. Defend Atlantis. So, this article mentions Alexander Dugan's fourth political theory, which integrates and supersedes liberal democracy, Marxism, and fascism. And in this theory, fourth political theory, the main subject of politics is not individualism, class struggle, or nation, but rather existence itself. And you can imagine that according to the writers at Medium.com and the Southern Poverty Law Center, any kind of political theory which supersedes liberal democracy, Marxism, and fascism has got to be (laughs) right-wing. So it's no surprise that Alexander Dugan is labeled as a far-right extremist, and then anyone who is a fan or a reader or scholar or repeater of Alexander Dugan is subsequently labeled as a extreme far-right nationalist and a white extremist, skinhead, racist, fascist, all the other fun words that we have completely changed the definition of. So so that's the fourth political theory. It's a political philosophy that integrates and supersedes liberal democracy, Marxism, and fascism. Um, the subject is basic existence itself. It uh, transcends individualism, class struggle, and even nationality, national identity, which is interesting because those things all 
kind of contradict the narco-theology that we've established at this point. Um, and in any case, that's the deal with the fourth political theory. And that Medium article goes on to talk about how James Perrazzo, the propagandist for the CJNG, the new Jalisco, new generation Jalisco cartel, um, he's a he's an Atlantean, you know, he purports the the Atlantis revival and the new Atlanteans, the the new coming race, which is part of the sixth root race theory. And we'll get into that here in a second as well. So what we've got with the sixth root race is first we ought to go through the different root races. Um, I know this is we're kind of going all over the place with this, and I'm trying to I'm trying to rein it in. We're an hour and a half into this discussion, and I want to try to rein this in anyway. So according to Theosophy World. Uh, root races is a theosophical concept that differs from the common anthropological meaning of the word race. A root race refers to a specific stage of human development where certain faculties or qualities are being developed. There are seven root races of humanity, with sub-races under each one. Imagine a tree with branches and leaves. They begin with the ethereal end. They begin with the ethereal and end with the spiritual on the double line of physical or moral evolution. At present, humanity has reached the fifth root race. Simultaneously with populations that belong to the third and fourth root races, the fifth root race has reached its fifth sub-race. The secret doctrine enumerates the following root races of humanity. The first root race did not have physical bodies. Their mind principle was not functioning. Uh, hence, they were called amanasa without minds. Second root race were the Hyperborean race. The Hyperboreans also did not have physical bodies. They reproduced by budding and developed the sense of touch. That was their big accomplishment. The later second race is also called the Sweatborn because they reproduced by exuding vital fluid, which coalesced into an egg-shaped ball, which served as an outside vehicle for a fetus and then also you know, ultimately a child. The Hyperboreans were located in a continent near the North Pole, comprising the present Northern Asia. The third root race, often referred to as the Lemurian race, this race had three stages, the sweatborn, which it inherited from the second race, uh, the androgynous humans, or eggborn, and third, the development of the two sexes and their separation. The secret doctrine states that the separation of the sexes occurred 18 million years ago during its fifth subrace. This is often referred to as the fall of man, or the first fall. The Lemurians built huge cities out of stone and lava. The first large cities appeared in the area of what is now called Madagascar. The most significant event during the midpoint of the third root race was the awakening of the mind principle, also called the coming of the Manasaputras. The Manasaputras were advanced beings who had passed through the human stage in previous Manvantaras, acquiring the full capacity of the mind. They had full knowledge of the Kriyas Akti, or the power of the will. They were the ones who activated the mind principle of the third race humans. It is in this connection that we come to the second fall, or the fall of the angels, due to the disobedience of the Manasaputras in giving intelligence to man. It is equivalent to the eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The third root race developed a sense of sight, and this went through three stages. The early third race humans had only one eye and were hermaphrodites. Then they passed through a stage where they had three eyes, the third being at the back of the head. The third eye lost its power and petrified or ossified, and our 
and our present pineal gland is the only remnant we have left of it. The Lemurian continents had two portions. The northern part covered a vast area in the Pacific and Indian Oceans through the Atlantic up to Norway. Its southern part covered the foot of the Himalayas down to the Antarctic Circle. The fourth root race, or the Atlantean race, was developed from a nucleus of northern Lemurian third-race human beings. They developed the fourth sense, that of taste, as well as the full development of the two eyes. The secret doctrine states that the greatest development of the physical body reached its peak two million years ago at the midpoint of the fourth root race. This race also developed speech, which was not necessary during the earlier stages because communication was made throughout transference, through thought transference. Language was first developed in monosyllables, followed by agglutinative languages, and then by inflectional languages, which is the root of present Sanskrit. Then the fourth race became tall with pride. They mated with the mindless, the narrow-headed, which bred monsters. They practiced sorcery and became wicked. Then followed the deluge, which eventually destroyed the Atlantean civilization. The secret doctrine estimates that this was 850,000 years ago, or 200,000 years after the commencement of the fifth root race. The secret doctrine states, The present yellow races are the descendants of the early branches of the fourth race. Of the third, the only pure and direct descendants are a portion of the fallen and degenerated Australians, whose far distant ancestors belong to a division of the seventh subrace of the third. The rest of it are mixed Lemuro-Atlantean descent. They have since then entirely changed in stature and intellectual capacities. The fifth root race developed a sense of smell, The secret doctrine states that the fifth root race has been in existence for about one million years, often referred to as the Aryan race. It has its subraces. The Europeans are its fifth subrace, while the present Americans are the germs of the coming sixth subrace of the fifth root race. The seventh subrace will start its preparations in 25,000 years, after which there will be cataclysms that will destroy Europe and the whole fifth root race. The race will, however, overlap with the sixth root race for many hundreds of thousands of years more. The sixth root race, which is the meat and bones behind uh, what we're talking about here, is on the ascending arc. This is what James Perrazzo says as far as the defending Atlantis, and this is what he believes about the CJNG. The sixth root race is on the ascending arc. It will be, quote, rapidly growing out of its bonds of matter and even of flesh, That's the more human-than-human thing that he mentioned in that tweet. This seems to suggest that the bodies or vehicles of the future races will return to becoming more ethereal and androgynous. The secret doctrine further states that there will be no more Americans when the sixth race race commences, no more, in fact, than Europeans, for they will have now become a new race and many new nations. Yet the fifth race will not die, but survive for a while— Overlapping the new race for many hundred thousands of years to come, it will become transformed with it. The next sense to be developed will be the faculty of normal clairvoyance. So that's a lot of stuff. That's according to the theosophists, and I'm not a proponent of the theosophists, but I find the entire idea very compelling that we have this narco-theology which sanctifies the type of behavior that has been deemed um, irredeemable 
in Western culture, although we know that the type of brutality exhibited by the CJNJ and other cartels throughout Mexico and all of Latin America is not new to the human condition. These are things that people have done for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. And I would probably venture to say that with each of these sixth root races before where we are now on the ascending arc, that after a substantial period of time, there was a cataclysm in which the previous race was destroyed completely. And of course, that's a convenient out, which you could build any kind of mythos around and explain everything away very logically. There's no evidence for any of it, unless, of course, you're looking deeply and then you find things that are just simply unexplained, like all of our fake-ass history. Um, the theosophists were onto something. I don't necessarily subscribe to it, but I think that they're definitely onto something, and it is a great big secret, hence the secret doctrine. It could be the biggest secret of our lives, of the entire existence of Earth. It could be the biggest, largest secret of humanity. I think it very well might be. I just find it very interesting that there is some sort of overlap between the narco-theology practiced by the Knights Templar cartel and adopted into these terror schools, accelerated and dehumanized through these uh, desensitization practices and trauma bonds, which then kind of de dissociates the mind from the body and stores trauma in the body while accelerating a certain cavalierness and a strength and character that was otherwise absent without the desensitization, if that makes any sense. It's like uh, once these killers start killing, they get a taste for it, and then it just becomes natural. They become uh, acclimated to that type of uh, behavior. It seems like that's like some of these senses that were developed over all of these root races, from touch to smell to sight. It could be the desensitization the normal clairvoyance, the uh, transcendence of the body could be this, the next sense to be developed with the coming of the sixth root race. Think of that what you will. I find it all very interesting, personally. So the La Raza Cosmica was basically kind of coined by this guy named Jose Vasconielos. Oh, gosh, man. I think he published it in... Well, it was republished in 1979. I'm not sure exactly when he first wrote it. I think it was in the 20s. Uh, he was a Mexican nationalist, and he always thought that there was, you know, he had a a, a national superiority. That's that's kind of what it was. It was a national superiority, and this La Raza Cosmica is a national superiority of a cosmic level, of a theosophic level. And if it was indeed, I believe it was uh, published, originally written in the 20s, um, Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The theosophy was it was global. It was a it was a global trend. Everyone was kind of jumping on board with the spiritualism and the theosophists. And the theosophists were informed, of course, by Madame Blavatsky. I think that she was the one who coined the term and developed the the philosophy. 
Um, it's all very interesting. And I find it also very interesting that once again, we're finding a quote unquote far right neo Nazi haven in Latin America. Now, I always found that really interesting how supposedly, you know, we're told that at the end of World War II, all the top SS officers and Nazis fled to Latin America. They fled to Cuba, they fled to Argentina and Chile and set up shop. And of course, we know about Pinochet, we know about uh, Colonial Dignidad. We know about this. We know that for some reason, of course, if you want to get into the dirt on this kind of stuff, you can read a lot of Miguel Serrano's books, which have a revisionist history of the entire Third Reich, written from a Chilean nationalist perspective, a Chilean national who identifies himself as a Nazi. I mean, that's it's, it's, it's counterintuitive, right? It, it seems like, how can there be Nazis that aren't white? How can there be Nazis out there? How can there be far-right extremist sympathizers who aren't Aryan? But it turns out that Latin America wasn't the only one. I mean, India had a massive haven for Aryan nationalism. I just find it very interesting that here we have it again with the, the La Raza Cosmica. It's very, very exclusive, very progressive, uh, and extremely right-wing. I don't know what any how that really relates to you and your life, if you find it interesting or not, but I certainly do. Because it begs the question. It's a very obvious question at this point. Why? Why is it that Latin America seems to be a home for quote-unquote so-called right-wing Aryan nationalist philosophy? Why is it... This is something that has been associated with Eastern Europe and European principles and Germany in specific and, and in some cases to some degree Russia. Um, and all of these, those, those countries are white. Those are white people. And so we've had this conditioning to believe that anything right-wing and anything national socialist is always going to take place within Eastern European philosophies and white descendants of these same of these same philosophical architects like Hitler or Goebbels or, or I mean, you know, the list goes on. But yet we find over and over and over again more confirming evidence that in fact these this same philosophy has more of a home in a larger geographical area that takes place in Latin America. Why is that? Is it because Latin America and North America is Atlantis? Could these guys be onto something? I mean, it's not that James Perrazzo was onto something. Maybe he is. I think he's just echoing the same popular tropes for his type of people uh, going way back to, you know, really the beginning of the 20th century. I just think it's very interesting that here we have a group of people that we call the Nazis, the the SS, and they're all their strange occult stuff that's all so weird uh, has a lot to do with Hyperborea and Atlanteans and all this other kind of stuff. And yet we find they're having a home, building a nice little nest and have had a nest built for them um, in Latin America for over 100 years. Find it very interesting. Maybe Latin America is actually Atlantis. Maybe there is actually an ascending sixth race. Maybe there is actually a desensitization that is happening through this acceptance of behavior and acceptance of violence as a normal thing, perhaps blending and melding the religious sanctification of finding that support mechanism in religion with the narco-terrorism and 
capitalist, like unbridled capitalism has found a found a way perhaps there's still momentum happening with that wheel as it spins faster and faster into the future i don't know but maybe there's something there so let's let's think about this for a minute okay so here we have uh these narco wars that are going on all the time january 5th ovidio guzman the leader of los chapitos faction of the sinaloa cartel was arrested there is a skirmish taking place. There's a vacuum that opened up. CJNG is moving in. They are masters of propaganda. They're running a slick movement, a, a political and social movement right alongside their narcotics operations and all their other brutality. They're not interested in helping people. They're interested in controlling people. They're interested in advancing and growing and growing and growing. All these things are happening all right now, kind of all at the same time. And the thing about Ovidio's arrest and capture on January 5th was that it was the it was followed by and initially we're told it was the whole thing began as a way to show strength to uh, Joe Biden and Justin Trudeau, two of the faggiest, dumbest politicians in the West, so easily duped. Of course, if you believe that they're even real people, I don't even know about that anymore. Um because they had a big meeting with AMLO, with Lopez Obrador. And which was funny because five days after the arrest and capture of a video, we had something that happened called the Declaration of North America. This wasn't like a bill or any kind of promise or anything. It was just another meeting, the 10th North American Leaders Summit. And it was uh, President Joe Biden, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and President Andres Manuel López Obrador. The leaders, uh, this is from WhiteHouse.gov, the leaders are determined to fortify our region's security, prosperity, sustainability, and inclusiveness through commitments across six pillars, diversity, equity, and inclusion, climate change and the environment, competitiveness, migration and development, health, and regional security. So, yeah, that's all flowery language, and that's the typical uh, politiques speak that these paid liars and puppet politicians say because they don't have that. They, they just have to say something. It doesn't matter what they say, as long as there are words that seem to go together, even if they don't make sense, it's going to be accepted because there's no alternative. Because that's what we do. We just believe everything we're fucking told. It doesn't matter what the context is, but. If we're going to think for a minute that uh, the Declaration of North America is strictly about North America, about Mexico, North America, and Canada as the North American continent, and we have to understand that the country of Mexico doesn't necessarily rely on South America, but there is a camaraderie and a commitment and a partnership between Central and South America and Mexico. Yes, there's a lot of beef and there's a lot of murder and there's a lot of competition, but there is a certain industry and a whole, I'd say there's a whole spectrum of industries, a whole myriad of industries that are migrated north from South America, Central America, and Mexico. And not all those industries are illegal or illicit, but they're all very, very powerful. And this we're to believe that the Declaration of North America is uh, an extension of this summit to reestablish and strengthen these bonds of trade and 
competition, commitment, competitiveness, migration, inclusion, diversity, migration and development, health and regional security, all those things are very nice to think about, but they kind of lend itself to the idea of a consolidation. So here you have South America, Central America, and North America in a sort of a soft commitment to each other, a soft partnership, which tends to you know, be the geographical landmass of the supposed Atlanteans' sixth race. And so here you have a political and economic powers uh, shaking hands and you know, kissing babies and fortifying their commitments to each other to stay unified. Uh, and <laughs> perhaps it is to usher in the sixth root race, which won't be for another 25,000 years. And we have a long way to go to develop that that uh, common telepathy. But I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, we know that the CIA runs the cartels, not runs the cartels, but we know that they operate together. We know that there are mutual interests in keeping certain drugs illegal and certain drugs legal. We know that the Chinese are producing the fentanyl in Mexico. We know that the fentanyl is not for Mexicans. No one in Mexico does fentanyl. It is export only. We also know that there are many uh, top officials in the White House and in the national security agencies around here that have been arrested for bribery and extortion and drug trafficking. So we know that the cartel issue is almost like uh, window dressing for something much more nefarious going on politically and socially, but also I think it's window dressing for something very heavy that is spiritual in nature and philosophic in nature and violent in action. And I think that really could be uh, the development of this supposed sixth root race of Atlantis. It's all very compelling. I don't necessarily know what to think of it at this point, but I think that if you can overlap the Atlantean philosophy of the root races and couple that with the fourth political theory and remembering the geography of the region of the world that we're talking about, and then you roll that out on a giant tortilla of narco-theology, I think there is something there. I think it's something really interesting. It begs more questions than it answers, but I think it's something uh, worth worth talking about and worth thinking about. Unfortunately, there is not a lot of information. I've been digging around on this thing for over a month trying to find more information about uh, James Perrazzo, trying to find more information about the Declaration of North America and about the ESA, and there's really not a lot out there. It's unfortunate, but there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be considered on there. So um, the president of Mexico, President Obrador, is he on the take? According to the Federalist, the Federalist paper, um, not the Federalist Papers, but according to the, the Federalist, April 28, 2021, uh, President Lopez Obrador possibly be on the take. That conclusion was bolstered by the release and subsequent exoneration in January 2021 
a former Mexican defense minister, uh, General Salvador Cienfuegos Zapata, who was arrested in the United States late last year on drug trafficking charges. Specifically, General Cienfuegos, who served as defense minister under President Enrique Pina Nieto from 2012 to 2018, ah, the Obama years, was accused of taking bribes in exchange for protecting drug cartel leaders. They apparently referred to him as the godfather, El Padrino. But his arrest in Los Angeles triggered a mini-diplomatic crisis. An outraged Mexican government demanded that Cienfuego be released to Mexican authorities and assured the U.S. Justice Department that the full weight of the Mexican justice system would be brought to bear on his case. The United States complied, turning over Cienfuegos and hundreds of pages of evidence against him. Not long after, the general was completely and very publicly exonerated, and the classified evidence against him was made public. In a statement, the Mexican Attorney General's office claimed, absurdly, that Cienfuegos never had any encounter with the members of the criminal organization. As shocking as it might seem that such a high-ranking member of the Mexican government was in the pay of a powerful cartel, the Cienfuegos case wasn't isolated. In December 2019, Gennaro Garcia Luna, this is December 2019, this is two years ago, technically, Gennaro Garcia Luna, former security chief under Presidente, uh, President Felipe Calderon from 2006 to 2012, was arrested on charges that he took millions in bribes from the Sinaloa cartel when it was under the leadership of El Chapo. To grasp how big of a deal um, Gennaro Garcia Luna's arrest was, understand that he served as the head of the Mexico's Federal Investigation Agency from 2001 to 2005. Mexico's uh, FIA is the equivalent of our FBI, and from 2006 to 2012 was Mexico's Secretary of Public Security, a cabinet-level position under Calderon. So that's the same thing as saying, like, uh, Eric Holder in the Obama administration, you know, was arrested, let's just say, to compare it, someone on the stature of Eric Holder, you know, uh, Secretary of Defense, Whatever, you, you know, you want to just throw some titles out. The cabinet positions, these are appointed positions, not not votes. These are appointed by upper council, uh, arrested for drug trafficking, for taking bribes. In that role, it was his job to lead Calderon's war against the cartel, chief among them, the Sinaloa. And turns out Sinaloa, he was working for the whole time. And so this is the thing that happens over and over and over again in, in these cartels and all these arrests and all these top-ranking officials being arrested with charges of this and charges of that. Uh, we never really hear what happens to them. Most of the time, they get exonerated and kicked out. Most of the time, nothing happens at all. They just kind of get memory hold because this is all how it is. The diversification of the cartels goes all the way through and up to including representatives of our own government in the United States, not to mention the complete capture of the Mexican government from top to bottom, inside and out. It's not a stretch to say that the cartels play a broad role in the governance of all of Mexico, and I would argue, in quite a long range of our governance in the United States as far as the legalization of certain drugs, the allowance of things to get through and across the border while other things are made to stay still, like for some reason, uh, we really want to take out the Los Chapitos factions while we're almost completely ignoring the CJNG, who are much more brutal and much more violent and are killing and kidnapping hundreds of people all the time. 
We're ignoring those guys. We want to take out Los Chapitos. Why? You know, in some places, uh, the cartels act as the government, not just by controlling the police and the security forces, but also providing welfare and public services to local residents, as they did this past year during the pandemic shutdowns. I mean, during the pandemic, dude, the cartels were distributing food and tests and masks and gloves and gowns and face shields and everything. I mean, the cartels were doing that, not the government. So, I mean, it's just... It's so captured through and through. And I think that there's a lot of interesting things happening there. But I think the most interesting overlap is the narco theology and the new Atlantean stuff, that sixth root race. It's pretty fucking cool stuff to think about. Um, man, we've been going for two hours. I think I'm ready to call it. I think I'm ready to call it. But I have a I have a few clips I want to play. I think I'm just going to play us out with some clips. They don't really have a lot to do. With the bulk of this episode, which has been going on for two freaking hours, man. I'm sorry. I know I've been gone forever for months and months and months. And I come back with some over two hour long doozy. I hope that you guys are interested in this stuff. And I hope that you uh, I hope that you listen because it's, it's, it's a good show. I don't know how it's going to affect your life, but it's just something to think about. And it's a little bit more insight into the inner workings of the cartel's on a philosophical level than just the sensationalized gore and violence that uh, we just love so much. I, I really love it. Okay, that is my gigantic overview as convoluted and um, disparate uh, points of reference that I tried to cull together to something semi-coherent. I hope it was semi-coherent, but that's my overview of narco-theology. That's what's going on. I find the whole thing very fascinating. There's so many overlaps and so many symbolic things and relics of the past that we can find in our current modern life. And everything from the Jesus Malverde saint, you know, uh, lighter cases and keychains, you know, the the drug trafficking saint, to Santa Muerta, to the, the huge churches and statues and altars of the death cults even the corridos the you know the 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 uh, mexican music that's all about the gangsters and the cartels i mean those are basically those can be synonymized with hymnals i mean they're basically hymnals if this is a religion if narco theology is an actual religious purpose and a philosophy and a way of life and a practice then those corridos are hymnals they they talk about the trials and tribulations of these saints and of the victims and the martyrs. They basically, they, they tell the story almost like uh, disciples, you know, of, of, these, of these revered apostles. You know, I mean, these, not like these bands or these grupas are a, 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 a apostolic, uh, but they are telling the story of what's going on on the ground. And they're doing it through music and they're doing it through song and through expression, which is very, very religious, you know, all of these things. And of course, this music is adored. The music is owned. I mean, these corridos, these grupas, they'll they'll pay money. They'll write songs about the cartels. And if they're favorable songs, then the cartel will pay them to get signed or they'll put the squeeze on a record or a, a radio station to play them. And if they don't like the band or the music or the song, then they'll discourage the the record or radio station from playing them. Or maybe they'll even kill the band. I mean, 
who knows there's it's just interesting so even the corridos are like the modern day hymnals of these of this religious movement uh, i think the whole thing is very fascinating and very symbolic and very easy to synonymize with the past we just have to get over our uh, netflix and amazon prime and then we can actually start seeing what's really going on so i'm going to play us out with some clips here's kind of a long one from joe rogan i'm sorry i gotta do it but it's a great interview with ed calderon ed calderon's been on his show for a long time Ed Calderon is a former um, Mexican military guy, Mexican police officer. He worked for a long time. And wouldn't you know, he's also in like the private security business. Although he doesn't practice or, or, or do training, he, he trains people how to survive um, in a almost in a paramilitary world. You know, he, he trains people how to uh, disappear themselves, how to become non-targets. He's a very interesting guy. I love listening to him talk. He's very calm and very chill. And then I have another piece of audio from Concrete Podcast with Danny Jones, which has become one of my favorite shows. It's another long-form discussion. He's talking with Luis Chaparro. Uh, Luis Chaparro is a little bit more boots on the ground as far as covering the cartel damage. Um, there's other interviews on Rogan with uh, Ion Grillo, who is a badass. He's been living in Mexico forever. He's an Englishman. He wrote a book called uh, Gangster Warlords, which I highly recommend. It's a fascinating book. If you, if you want to know more, more about the Knights Templar and about the MS-13 and the, and the other Lamara Salvatruchas, the other Lamaras, I really recommend um, Gangster Warlords from Eon uh, Grillo. He's a great writer. The book reads really, really smooth. It's a great audio book as well. So check those out. I'm going to play some some clips and uh, I hope you guys are doing great. I hope you're excited to listen to more up is down coming up in the future. Um, and I am working my ass off to carve out time to make some more shows like this, maybe not quite as deep and involved as this narco theology one. I've been building on this for a long time and there is so many things to put together and I got super distracted doing other shit uh, I think I, I hope I did a good job. I hope you guys liked it. So I'm um, going to play us out with some of these clips, starting with Ed Calderon on JRE. I, th I think the average person has no idea about the songs, uh, no idea about the culture of it all. They have no idea the depth and how deeply it's connected to uh, society down there. I mean, the, uh, death, the death cult worship is, I think it, you could probably trace it back to the Aztec days. All right, so there's definitely when you see all these highly graph, highly violent, bloody cartel executions and, and and things like that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think there's some sort of genetic memory from that of those times. It's not abnormal physically for some of these people to do that type of thing. You know, ripping somebody's heart uh, next to a tree is a, like, there's videos of that stuff out there. I remember getting contacted by people that I knew on this side of the uh, of the border in the U.S. Uh, that were very curious why all these people from the Middle East were looking at all these cartel execution videos. And then a few years later, you had ISIS doing some high production execution videos that mm. were inspired by the cartels, you know. Wow. So Isn't that interesting that we don't think about that? We think about, oh, my God, look at ISIS. They're cutting people's heads off. What have they learned from Mexico, which is connected to us by so land? Right down you there. could fucking walk there. <laughs> yeah. Like You don't have to fly to Afghanistan. You could walk there. It's not in Libya. It's near La Jolla. Yeah. <laughs> you just, it's 20 minutes drive. You're in Tijuana. Yeah. We're the most violent city on the planet right now. That's so, so right crazy. There. Yeah. And when and, I go to San Diego, that's the, one of the first things I think is how, what a juxtaposition. 
how crazy it is that this is the border to Mexico and it's all military. San Diego is filled with fucking seals and rangers and marines and bases and it's just all military down there. It's so military influenced and it's right next to the most violent, dangerous city on planet Earth. More than Karachi. Yeah, that is no accident. Like that's not that's not a strange thing. Like that's not an accident. Those we are involved. Like we are providing security. We are helping this problem, quote unquote, go on. Like it's no accident. It's no anomaly that San Diego is packed to the gills with special forces and Navy SEALs and military bases. all The whole place is crawling with spooks and CIA. It's no accident. I don't know. Joe seems to be shocked by that, but it's just, come on, man. But then again, it's Joe Rogan. So that's in the culture. And and, and the religious uh, occultism the cartels have as well. You know, it's a pretty interesting thing. Uh, things like Santa Muerte, the, 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 the death cult that is kind of in, in different parts of Mexico. It's like... A, Think of a very dark uh, Freemasonry type thing, right? Certain, mm. certain levels you have people that are part of the uh, part of that cult, from the cops to the military to the cartels. It's kind of uh, to uh, prostitutes to drug dealers. Uh, it's interesting how how th that kind of also has an influence on 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 the way some people go into very risky businesses like being cops or or, or cartel guys. And how they wear or they empower themselves by some of these occult iconographies, you know, like a, there's, a, there's a, the Trinity is the Jesus Malverde, which is a, it was a folk uh, hero from turn of the century, Sinaloa, basically a bandit that got caught and killed, and he turned into a saint. And now there's a giant church to him in Sinaloa with a bunch of money stuck to the walls and, and um, pictures of guys in the U.S. with like a F-150 truck or a Hummer, like, thank you, Malberta, I'm, I'm living the dream now because of you. Two roadside altars with, uh, with a uh, statue of the Virgin Mary, and then you look behind her and there's a reaper behind it because it's a, a hidden Santa Marta uh, shrine, and they do that to, so the military doesn't destroy them because... They have standing orders to destroy these things, which shouldn't be, but, you know, it's kind of religious persecution, but they actually do that. It's so <coughs> it's so different than the United States. In, in a lot of ways, it is. I, mean, I don't think we understand, like, all this stuff. Like, I, I think the average person has no idea about the songs, uh, no idea about the culture of it all. They have no idea the depth and how deeply it's connected to society down there. I mean, the uh, death, the death cult worship is, I think it, you could probably trace it back to the Aztec days, right? So there's definitely when you see all these highly graph, highly violent, bloody cartel executions and 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 things like that. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think there's some sort of genetic memory from that those times. It's not abnormal physically for some of these people to do that type of thing. You know, ripping somebody's heart uh, next to a tree is a, like there's videos of that stuff out there. I might not have enough proof of this, but I guess if you l look closely around El Mayo and look how he started uh, to be who he is, his first connections, the guy who introduced them to the drug trafficking business, it's, uh, it's very possible that El Mayo has uh, strong ties with the CIA, with at least with someone high up in the, 
in the operations of like foreign, you know, um, intelligence in, in Mexico. Mm-hmm. That's how Mayo has managed to keep safe and to keep, you know, alive. And he's 70 fucking three and he yeah. uh, has diabetes, but he's still out there. But the mafia didn't waste any time in diversifying and neither of the cartels. So one of the many problems in Mexico today is that the cartels have diversified. They've gotten into cargo theft and kidnapping and avocados and limes and real estate and local government. And criminality is always going to exist. Now, the attractiveness of gutting them of some of their primary income, should we look at that? Of course. But it's not so simple as removing one and it just all stops. The thing is, the crazy fucking thing is, uh, fentanyl, it's a story in the U.S., but it's not a story in Mexico. Because fentanyl is not saying in Mexico. No one is doing fentanyl in Mexico. No one is consuming fentanyl in Mexico. If you go to any city like Ciudad Juarez or Culiacán or Monterrey or whichever city you go, Cancun or whatever, and try to get a pill of fentanyl, you're, you're not going to get anything. Can't find it? Not even in Monterey? Yeah, no. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it's impossible to get pills because this the same criminal organizations have, have it uh, prohibited, right? Mm-hmm. You can't sell fentanyl in Mexico to Mexicans. That's all for export. Um, well, the fentanyl in the U.S. <coughs> is like hidden though, right? Like it's not, you're not actually buying fentanyl. People who are dying are trying to buy other shit that's cut with fentanyl. Yes, exactly. But th- there's two ways fentanyl is getting into the U.S. Uh, one, it's pure fentanyl, where they where they ship pure fentanyl so people in the U.S. can cut their own shit. They're with manufacturing fentanyl. here. Right? Uh-huh. <coughs> uh huh. Well, no, they're, they're manufacturing in. Well, they're getting it from China. Well, they're manufacturing like the pills and shit. Exactly. Yeah, okay. and they're uh-huh. and the other is the actual pills or heroin or coke, uh, laced with fentanyl and shipped into the U.S. Here's one thing I don't fucking get. How is there's no way people are intentionally cutting coke with fentanyl? I don't think so. Because it's the complete polar opposite drugs. If you're if you want to keep selling your coke mm-hmm. and you're giving people coke with fentanyl, I mean you're not going to keep your clients for very Same. long. No, I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, at some point, I was convinced that that was a myth that coke mixed with fentanyl because I I found no proof. But then I found proof in the U.S. of of U.S. law enforcement who started sending me. Um, results from uh, analysis uh, drug tests where coke was being mixed with fentanyl but i think and i'm guessing that has to be unintentional (laughs) i don't know man i know a lot of people i've known a lot of people who uh, are intentionally using fentanyl in order to overdose that is the goal with some people is they want to do the fentanyl because the heroin's been so stepped on, it's bullshit. They don't even get high off it anymore. Or they're on methadone, and so their shit's all fucked up. Or they're in some other sort of treatment thing. They're on Suboxone or whatever, and they can't get high off heroin anymore. And so they're doing fentanyl with the intention to overdose. They're chasing the dragon of death. And it's so much more accessible now, and it's easy to remedy this whole problem with death because the same junkies that are scoring fentanyl Uh, are getting Narcan delivered to them for free. They're getting free Narcan inhalers uh, from the needle exchange companies and places like that, little outreach centers who are giving them uh, clean needles and Narcan. So the idea of overdosing and dying is becoming more and more of a myth with people that are seeking that really extreme high, chasing that death dragon. So I don't know. These guys don't know a lot of people that do drugs. I don't either anymore, but I've known a few and there's more than a handful that are intentionally doing met, doing fentanyl 
trying to find fentanyl using drugs that are cut with fentanyl and they're not afraid in the least bit of overdosing and that includes putting fentanyl in things like cocaine lsd even sprinkling sprinkling it on their fucking weed i mean it's it's getting to be everywhere so all you guys out there who are putting things in your face drugs and powders and pills and your gummies and shit just be careful i mean it's there's a demand for it here and it's not like people don't want to get high that way there's a lot of people that really do want to get really high that way yeah those that shit i, w- I went into a laboratory in sinaloa uh, of, of fake percocets and really? dude it's i mean it's it's crazy how how that shit is uh, how the they're manufacturing those pills in a s- small fucking apartment i was i was in one of those <clears throat> biggest labs two years ago i think or three years ago uh, in sinaloa as well and the thing used to be very different it was huge lab in the um in the outskirts of of culiacan um so it was like outdoors lab you know like what you think with with huge fucking barrels of precursors and shit and they will do huge fucking batches of of uh, fentanyl laced um like paste that they will turn into pills press into pills later um but then apparently this year el mayo order the whole fucking industry to make smaller uh labs all over the city more labs but smaller the smaller quantities so if they will get busted they will just find a lab and they will lose that small amount. amount of it. exactly right so i went there last year um to one of these small new labs and i mean they don't even know what they're fucking getting right they just they just got a chinese man a chinese chemist straight from china to teach them how to fucking cook pills mixed fentanyl uh because everything, all the precursors and fentanyl is coming straight from, from China to the Sinaloa cartel. So who's sending the Chinese <coughs> chemist? The Chinese, the Chinese triads, which I'm pretty sure the fucking government. Holy shit. And who's paying this fucking chemist? The Sinaloa cartel. The cartel's paying the cartels, yeah. Both, both cartels, uh, Sinaloa and Cartel Jalisco, are paying like the same um, group in China, right? And these Chinese chemists came, come here, well, come into Mexico, and they teach both. Uh, on different places and different uh, dates and everything like by separately but but it's the, f- the same guys that are showing both how to do shit you know whoa uh, and it's it's crazy so I went in, into one of these labs and um, is this one of the labs you went to yeah exactly that's exactly that's that's the lab I, I was the lab I was uh, I think last year wow and that's one of the uh, <coughs> Sinaloa uh, chemists that was uh, recently uh you know, shown by shown by by this uh, Chinese chemist on how to cook those pills. So this was a Chinese guy. No, that was okay. a Mexican guy. Uh, but he learned straight from this Chinese guy, and he told me how. He told me how. Um, he basically said, like, say the Chi- the Chinese came here, and he was like, "I'm gonna be here for three months, and and you're just gonna watch how I do shit every single time I do a new batch. You're just gonna watch." And after three months, I'm gonna uh, you're <clears throat> gonna you're gonna be on test. You're gonna make a test for me, um, and if you're ready, and if we ship that uh, shit to the U.S. and the shit sells and the customers are happy with it and everything, then you're ready to go. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to stay here another three months and stuff. So that's how that guy learned how to how to make pills. Whoa! He's like, okay, after three months, he stopped, and he said, like, okay, you're flying solo. I started cooking. He just watched and watched and watched. I made a whole batch. We shipped it over. 
uh, and the shit was good. Uh, they have a test that I show on the on the video how they how they test the, the pills for quality, and apparently they they, they use a foil paper. Uh, aluminum paper and then they put the peel and they start burning the paper and if the peel slides that 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 means it's a good quality peel and if the peel gets stuck that means it's a sh shitty batch and you have to do all over again okay that's it for me that's it for the show i hope you guys enjoyed it if you have to break it up into a few different listens man do whatever you want to do i hope that you're listening to begin with that's great uh it really means a lot that you're still here i hope that the changes to the show aren't too offensive, but let's get real, man. I'm not trying to uh, destroy the system. I'm no longer trying to fight the new way. There's no point in fighting the new way. I'm just going to use the new way to get my ends met. And uh, I hope that that's forgivable and acceptable. I've gotten that indication from plenty of people who've emailed me about the direction of the show in the past. And I've been, I know I've been threatening to do things like Patreon or monetizing or just stopping the show altogether, but I'm not going to stop doing the show. I know you guys are probably gun shy to trust me at this point because I disappeared for almost eight months with, with no, with no word, just suddenly I just left all you guys. And I know that I, w I really, I know that I mean a lot to you and you mean a lot to me. So I hope that this offering is uh, suitable I hope that you enjoy it. I hope it makes you think. Please feel free to reach out to me at upisdownpodcast at gmail. And um, move on over to the Patreon, guys. I'm going to be putting uh, the entire archive is already over there. This episode, as well as every other episode I've done, is available there. Ad-free all the way through. It's fairly private. Um, it's a safe place. It's affordable it's reasonable i think it's a smart move forward and i'm looking forward to doing another episode real real soon so until next time you guys stay alive out there and uh, don't put that powder in your face bye bye challenge we're seeing in Mexico right now is that the, uh, air quotes, good cartel, the one that saw drugs as a business, is being broken up. The former top law enforcement official for the Mexican government pleads not guilty today in New York in a federal court. Gennaro Garcia Luna was arrested in North Texas back in December. He ran Mexico's federal police from 2006 to 2012. While cracking down on drug cartels during that time, Luna is accused of taking bribes from especially drug kingpin Juan El Chapo Guzman while providing protection for him. U.S. prosecutors say the bribes could be in the tens of millions of dollars. Remember El Chapo? That's the good cartel? Yeah.
first of all, and again, I might, <laughs> I might not have enough proof of this, but I guess if you look closely around El Mayo and look how he started uh, to be who he is, his first connections, the guy who introduced him to the drug trafficking business, it's uh it's very possible that El Mayo has uh, strong ties with the CIA, with at least with someone high up in the in the operations of like foreign, you know, um, intelligence in in Mexico. Mm-hmm. That's how El Mayo has managed to keep safe and to keep you know alive. And he's seventy fucking three, and he's yeah. uh, has diabetes, but he's still out there. Es cantare. 